Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This weekend is the season finale of Saturday Night Live. Every year after that finale, there's a bit of an exodus. Some performers and writers leave the show to go pursue their own projects. My two guests today, they had their SNL exodus in 2017. And I'll tell you what, what an incredible season this cast has had. May 2017 marked the end of a landmark SNL season. That season began before the 2016 election and ended months into President Donald Trump's first term. Sarah Schneider and Chris Kelly were co-head writers during that season for SNL. And they say that that job during that time, it was pretty hard. It was a lot of work to keep up with everything that was happening in the news. Yeah, it's like just drinking a little bit of poison every day. And if you're, here, you're like, God, why do you feel sick? I've been drinking poison all year. <laughs> so after that season, Sarah and Chris left SNL to make something new. They made a show called The Other Two. It airs on Comedy Central, and critics are calling it one of the best new comedies of 2019. The show tells the story of Chase Dreams, this teenager who becomes a viral pop sensation. Some in the music industry are already calling him the next big white kid. But the show is really about Chase's two older siblings, the other two. Brooke is played by Helena York. I'm going to travel. I'm going to drive across the country. I'm going to be a travel agent, travel writer, travel photographer, all the things, Mom. And her brother, Carrie, is played by Drew Tarver. Hi, I'm Carrie Dubeck, and I'm reading for the role of man at party who smells fart. Carrie and Brooke are both a mess. But as their little brother becomes a huge star, they learn some hard lessons about success and work and happiness. There is, you could say, growth. I talked to Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider about the show and their time at SNL. Chris joined me in L.A. Sarah was in New York. All right. Enjoy. How was y'all's day? Also, hi to both of you. Hi. I can see one of you. I know. I feel like I need to, like, get a picture of where, where you guys are and what you look like. <laughs> well, you're really missing out. I mean, we've got the rosé in <laughs> here, the shrimp beautiful. cocktail. You have shrimp huge. cocktail? There's the ice sculpture. <laughs> we have a 10 a.m. shrimp I love shrimp 10 a.m. shrimp, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no better time. Okay, so you've been working together now how long? Uh, like eight years, maybe. Eight, yeah. yeah. Which year was the hardest to work together? Hmm. Oh, you've thought about it. I don't know. It. You've thought about it. I think, like, nothing has been harder. I think just, like, what we've been working on has been harder mm. or easier versus, like, that, our relationship. Yeah. We've been pretty, we're pretty rock we, solid. Yeah. That election <laughs> season was hard, at yeah, the last season hard. of SNL. And y'all but were like, head writers yeah, the season of the election. Yeah. But wow. good hard. Okay. But, like, a lot of pressure. We were very, like, hard on ourselves, you know? I'm sure. We're yeah. going to talk a lot more Whoa. about that. Wow. <laughs> a lot more. But oh, first, God. we're going to talk about a show that does not feel hard. It feels nice and easy and smooth, and it just washes over me. Like, I'm trying to think of an app comparison. It's like a wonderful comedic Moscato. Oh, Sweet. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I want to put that as a pull quote on right? the poster. Right? It's called The Other Two. Uh, one of you, both of you, either of you, give a quick 30-second elevator pitch for the show. Okay. For those who haven't heard it before. Yeah, yeah. Seen it before. Um, it's about two siblings that are in their late 20s, early 30s. One is a struggling actor. One was a dancer, and now she doesn't know what she's doing with her life, and they're both struggling. And at the beginning of the pilot, their much younger little brother, uh, who's 13, posts one simple little music video online, and it's a huge hit, and he becomes famous overnight. So it's about his rise to superstardom from the point of view of the other two yeah <laughs> through the magic of audio we have chase's first hit song oh. i want to marry you at recess <laughs> queued up when we are together, 
Who wrote the song? We wrote the lyrics to it. <laughs> so dumb. It's so stupid. That's the beauty of it. And we, we worked with this company called Vanacore Music, Lee Vanacore, and he wrote the music for it. Girl, you're the cutest girl in the entire world. And I would die for you. Did you say make it cheesy on purpose? Like, I yeah. mean, like, what notes do you give to a songwriter to write this kind of song? Well, we did a lot of research and watched a bunch of other, like, young tween stars and mm-hmm. watched a bunch of different first music videos from a bunch of kids huh. to kind of sense, like, what type of thing they were writing about and how good or bad it was. So, um... We wanted it to be as good as it could be if this kid made it on his own. You know, he doesn't really have a team yet. Maybe like the the most talented older boy on his block (laughs) helped him with the music (laughs) was sort of the vibe. Yeah, we didn't want to fully like hear our brains behind it. We wanted it to feel purely like it could have come out of Case Walker, who plays Chase Dreams. (laughs) It is quite interesting the way that you found the actor who actually plays Chase Mm -hmm. in this show. Um, life imitating the art mm-hmm. you're making. He actually was somewhat of a viral internet star. He had a lip sync video on, how do you say it, Musical.ly? Yes. Yeah, Musical.ly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah. go about looking for someone on those platforms? We, well, we were going through the usual routes of, you know, we had our casting directors sending us these like amazing kids from Broadway and from television. And, um, we are one of our producers was like, hey, just a heads up, maybe you would want to check out this site that my teen niece goes to called Musically. And Chris and I had no idea. We had never heard of it before. We were like, sure, we'll check it out and found like a top 10 Musically stars <laughs> list. And he was on that list. And we were like, let's just bring him in. He kind of has something in these videos. He really is authentically like one of these kids because he is one of these kids. Um, yeah. So we found him through that. Does he know what he's signing up for? Like if he, <laughs> if his claim to fame is a show in some way parodying mm-hmm. teen celebrities, does that mean he can never himself be a real teen yeah, celebrity? Yeah, I know. Well, we, yeah, we, we cared yeah. about that. We, <laughs> we wanted to make sure that he was like on board and like in on the joke. And so yeah. we were very clear with him and his parents, the whole audition process. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And these are the types of jokes we're going to be making fun of the industry. Because yeah. we're not making fun of uh, like we're not making, making fun, fun of, of Chase Dreams in particular. We're making fun of the machine around him and that the turns these kids him. into yeah, exactly. something. But he was funny, and I mean, he has a good sense of humor. And does he like the show? He does. Yeah. Okay. So All yeah, right. he was on board, and he gave us a lot of good ideas for the show, and and could pitch jokes because he's very aware of the the situation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I found myself thinking watching these episodes was whether or not. The two older siblings, the ones mm-hmm. who are watching their young brother succeed and mm-hmm. they kind of have massive FOMO. But <laughs> I could not help wondering, are those two characters, a brother and sister, yeah. in any way reflective of the two of y'all's lives? <laughs> well, yeah. we don't we don't have like the the equivalent of a chase dreams in our lives. Thank <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> but I think we definitely relate to the idea of comparing yourselves to others. That was like a huge thing we talked about when we wanted decided what kind of stories we wanted to tell in this situation and comparing your level of success with others and how fast you're getting that success and is it the right 
kind of success for you? Because I think something that Carrie struggles with that we can relate to in particular is like... Carrie's the older brother. Carrie's the older brother, mm-hmm. yeah. Is this kid, he's been like trying to be an actor the classic route, like studied it, has been doing jobs to p- go to commercial auditions. And his brother posted this little video and just jumped the line. And there's yeah. not a specific pathway in you know the entertainment industry and so i think that's an interesting you know thing that we've all experienced where someone came out of nowhere posted one thing and then jumped ahead and there's like a jealousy involved with that there's yeah you and know, you're like i've been doing all the of, rules yeah, i've been doing all I've the things you just skipped all the steps <laughs> oh like, yeah but you're also in awe of them and you kind of want to you know watch <laughs> you want their, it you want to like yeah, yeah, yeah you learn from their experience yeah. and kind of it's all um yeah it's all yeah. relative Well, there's this lovely moment, and I'm trying to remember which episode, but the older brother and sister Mm -hmm. are sitting down just reflecting on how the younger brother is just blown up. And the sister says to the brother, one, you need to ride this wave, but two... Don't think you're above this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like you. This is the this is the game, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get on the board. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I think for the first half of the season, Carrie, the older brother, thinks he is like the real artist in the family <laughs> and chases the fake artist. And over the course of the season, he starts to realize, or you start to realize that there isn't really such a thing as like a real one and a fake one, yeah. and everyone's just mm-hmm. sort of in the trying together yeah. and it's just and the metrics yeah. are different yeah, exactly. in your yeah. mind as an artist or creative you're like oh real artist or not but the industry is like are you successful yeah, or yeah. not right. yeah are you viral or not? Yeah. Who is talking about you? You know? <laughs> but I think for both of them, and specifically Brooke, it's like you have this idea of what making it is going to be, or you have this idea of like where you're supposed to end up, and like neither of them are quite ending up in the place that they thought they were going to be, and that is not necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Brooke is like, you know, hesitant to be his assistant and feels dumb about it, but then like, is good at it and she can be there for her little brother and her family and it's a talent she has and I think that's interesting to us too that this you had this sense that she was a dancer a professional dancer when she was younger and that Mm -hmm. idea of like that's over what now you're not necessarily done it just your life might look different than how you thought thought it it was gonna look (laughs) sometimes you gotta t-paint it yeah (laughs) I've been obsessed with the mass singer (laughs) t-paint won it last week oh it was was t-paint but there was a certain (laughs) amount of time where like half of the top 40 was him uh-huh. Yeah. You can't have that forever. You got to adjust, baby. You're going to be on a Fox singing show at some point. You never totally. could have imagined <laughs> that you were going to kill yeah. it on you know, the mask. Just get, get the check. <laughs> get the check. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Chris and Sarah on tackling political comedy during that landmark SNL season. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Verbo. Finding the perfect vacation home is hard. You start off looking for a beach house big enough for six and wind up watching videos of surfing dogs. Verbo does the hard work for you. Whatever your budget or what you want from the home, a yard, grill, or even a private pool, Verbo's got you covered. Download the Verbo app, V-R-B-O, to discover everything from condos and cabins to villas and castles. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a new podcast coming out this week from NPR. It's called White Lies. The show is all about the murder of Reverend James Reeb that took place in Selma, Alabama in 1965. Three men were tried and acquitted, but no one was ever held to account. Until now. Fifty years later, two journalists returned to the town where it all happened to uncover a story about guilt and memory that says as much about America today as it does about the past. Listen and subscribe to White Lies. All right, back to the show. 
it's interesting to see the both of you make this show now because you're probably at this point after being co-SNL head writers, y'all are someone's chase dream. Oh there are probably a lot of people <laughs> in y'all's line of work that are jealous of your success at a relatively young age. Do you feel that? Yes. Do you think that? Was that on your mind? Well, now it no. is. <laughs> now it is. Yeah, Chase Dreams is based on us. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, we should start saying that. That's, that's a so better answer. Yeah, that is so funny. Y'all are the y'all are the comedy <laughs> world's Chase Dreams. <laughs> Own it. Oh my God. No, that's very nice. But I, I will say we've both been very lucky, and we know that we've gotten to have cool jobs. And so, in in that respect, Carrie and Brooke are not super based on us because we know we've we've you made it. worked at SNL, and we we were we were very excited. <laughs> and lucky to get to do what we want to be doing right now. That being said, similarly, there, there, the episode you were talking about earlier when Carrie is talking about how he doesn't think he's made it, mm-hmm. he says, um, you know, I'm 28. If I was going to be a famous actor, would it have already happened right now? <laughs> LOL. And LOL. It's like 28 <laughs> is not old. Especially it is not for a old. man. It is not, especially for, Come on. I mean, for a woman. Oh, oh. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> no, but 28 is not old. And I do remember being in my 20s, my mid-20s, my now? late 20s. I'm 35. Okay. Struggling, being like, is it ever going to happen? Like, what do I, what, and what does happen, happen mean? mean? Yeah. And I got SNL at 28, which is very young. Yeah. But at the time when you are 28 and you're like not sure what you're even doing, you feel spinning. like, you know, what's so the it's little, very easy to feel yeah. like a million years old when you are still only 28. And especially if your little brother <laughs> is 13 and yeah. becomes famous, you feel like a dinosaur. But yeah. I think that was interesting to us too that Carrie is worried that he's done and he is still like so <laughs> young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that a lot of reviewers have noted about this show and the thing that I picked up on watching it is you could have easily just made a show like this that is in some ways a send up of teenage fame, online celebrity and the industry itself. You could have made it entirely mean and snarky and that would have Mm. been fine. But there are these (laughs) moments in which the show reveals itself to actually have a heart. And Uh actually, I think that there's probably a a moment like that, like once an episode at least. Uh It seemed as if it was a very conscious decision. Why did you want to make a show in this climate <laughs> with with a with a soft center? Yeah. I mean, I think we just respond to shows that have that combination. That's like our taste and we like shows that you know, have an edge and are funny and but have those moments where you get to like be in with the characters and you feel for them and you feel empathy for them and so I know when we started you know setting out how to write this show we knew we wanted to make it a pop culture satire at the top you know that's kind of like the premise and the world that they live in but we couldn't really imagine stopping there just for the for what we like and what we respond to in terms of writing other shows on TV. Yeah, But also, I think part of the reason maybe the heart is there is because Sarah and I, even when we talk about the show to each other, talk about it like it's a family show. We don't really talk about it like it's a pop culture satire. That part just comes easy to us because when Brooke and Carrie talk to each other and we're like, what should they say? It's like, I guess they should talk about The Real Housewives because that's what we talk about. (laughs) So that stuff is just easy. It's just the way we communicate. But ultimately, we we discuss it as a family show. So we try to come up with stories... um, even we're going back into the writer's room for season two next week and trying to talk Congrats about... Congrats on getting to season two. Uh, thanks. <laughs> but talking about what could or would this family be going through mm-hmm. separate from Chase if he wasn't famous? Mm-hmm. What are still things about their identity or their career, or their relationships that they would still be having to deal with? Yeah. is sort of how we approach it. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is a question just for me that probably won't even make it out of post. <laughs> but the episode in which Chase at 13 has to or doesn't have to chooses to enter into a fake relationship that uh-huh. his record label arranges. Uh, I said to myself, I knew it. I knew they do this stuff. I know it's all a sham. I know it. I know it. I know it. So I want both of you or one of you to verify for me that you've actually researched that this stuff happens and it does happen for real. I don't even know names to name. But when we talked to Case Walker, who plays Chase, mm-hmm. he was like, sometimes that happens and he'll see people in the world who he knows aren't quite together for real. Um or it's he's true. postulating that it feels like, you know, a little bit of a move. It's true. I think it's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely true. Can I tell you when I knew? When what? I read somewhere back in the day that back in the day for like a good three days, uh-huh. uh, Michael Jackson and Madonna dated. Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's like photos. No, that seems real. <laughs> love. They are a good fit. Oh, <laughs> They're God. such a good fit. They both like music. Oh, God. It's amazing. <laughs> um... Another theme of the show uh-huh. that I appreciate as a 34-year-old okay. is that your show, Through These Older Siblings, makes the case that millennials at this point are starting to feel old uh-huh. and not quite in touch with the zeitgeist. And the next generation, Generation Z, AA, I don't know, whatever yeah. the hell you call uh-huh. them, yeah. <laughs> they're ahead. Yeah. And we're behind. Oh, How yeah. much of that was intentional? You both are millennials. You're 35. How old yeah. are you? Yeah, we're, we're cuspers. We're right on the... Yeah, yeah right we just made edge. it in. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old millennial as well. It, it's so interesting. It just must be like something that every generation goes through where you've been painted as the young ones for forever and you start realizing like, no, I, I don't even, I didn't even know what musically was and there's an entire world. Yeah. Like Chris referred to it as the upside down. It's like our version of, <laughs> there's this entire parallel world of like fame and yeah. celebrities and we yeah. don't even know about it. We actually, we're looking at a, it was like a prop for something recently we're looking at a real like teen beat magazine, like a, a recent one. They and still do those. The pe- yeah. yeah, they still do them. But all yeah. the people in them are, you know, Jacob Sartorius and they're, don't know Carson Luters and these don't know. But yeah, they're all like these, social, they're media all social media yeah. and YouTube oh stars. God. And there were no, there were almost no, you know, kids from TV shows. Um, yeah. in the magazine so that was fa- it's fascinating and we, we like that especially for Brooke's character at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. I think when Chase becomes super famous Carrie is jealous at first mm-hmm. and Brooke I think is sort of like um, I mean it makes her spin <laughs> out because she's like what am I doing with my life but uh-huh. I also think she thinks wow cool Chase is killing it I'm killing it we're both two young hot progressive smart <laughs> like like Equals, young peers. teen equal. Like, she <laughs> forgets that she, like 30 is like not, it's a different it, she phase is, of life. Yeah, it's a different phase of life. And so I think over the first couple episodes, she learned that she's not as ahead of the curve as she thought she was. Like, she was very ahead of the curve when she was, like, in her teens and she was dancing. And then 23 turns into 25, turns into 30. And oh, yeah. next thing you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm not the youngest, most talented, newest person in the room anymore. And mm-hmm. that's tough. It is tough. <laughs> so in thinking about age, yeah, this show also does a wonderful parody of how the industry, quote unquote, <laughs> fetishizes youth. Yeah. This manager that Chase has, who is hilarious, played by Ken, Ken Marino. Marino yeah. Um, there's one app 
where to keep him looking young mm-hmm. makes Chase <laughs> wrap his neck yeah. to keep the Adam's apple from popping out. Yeah. Yeah. And he also dyes his tongue mm-hmm. to make it look extra pink and young. girls yeah, don't like girls a pale don't. tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like on the one hand, you're like, that's absurdical. But on the, on the other hand, you're like, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. That's just based on things I do. You know, just keep myself <laughs> keep looking young. fresh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and like you're parodying this trait of the biz yeah but it is also a reality of the biz and yeah. like it, it makes me squirm to think about the extent to which youth is like fetishized i mean that is kind of the f- first step in streeters you know manufacturing and cultivating of chase streams's image so mm-hmm. silly to talk about these things seriously but um, <laughs> with those names but yeah i think that is where he starts and then you know he goes to he becomes um a gay ally and then he becomes um, you know a a sexy teen (laughs) and so I think the youth of it all was kind of just the first step in this larger idea that we mentioned earlier of what's fascinating to us which is like a room of adults deciding how to present a child to the world does making a show like this in which you so sharply parody the industry in which you kind of work in Uh does it make you love the industry more (laughs) hate it more like do you like do you eye the entertainment business in a different way after writing a show like this oh interesting Hmm. I'm Hmm. my answer is no I mean I think Saturday Night Live kind of peels back the curtain in a lot of ways Mm. and and not in a bad way at all Mm. and in a good way but you meet so many people you meet so many celebrities every week and um who was you just see that (laughs) That's not what I was thinking, but you just see that everyone is like a norm. I mean, not everyone's normal. Uh, not everyone's normal. But like that everyone is just kind of like working and trying mm-hmm. and doing their best. It's a job. It's a job. And so um, it doesn't make me like it more or less, but you just see that it's a job and you just see that everyone's doing their damnedest. And um, I think that's what like Sarah was saying earlier. The reason it's not so sharp and cynical all the time and is because we sort of have empathy for it. You kind of see that everyone is just insecure mm-hmm. and trying and there's people around them making them pivot from mm-hmm. one thing to the next to try to stay relevant and you except just see the Idris humanity Elba. behind it all except Idris Elba who is he's just on <laughs> another level yeah. Yeah. I've never met him Unbeatable. I never will. He doesn't really deal with people. Isn't he at SNL this week? Yeah, this week. Wait, is he? He's at SNL this week. I quit too soon. Do y'all miss it, (laughs) SNL? Well, now I do. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, we talk about that a lot. We really miss, like, Chris and I both loved and thrived in, I think, the energy of a live show and the excitement of putting something up and watching it fail or watching it succeed and starting over the next week and that we miss that kind of energy because then working on this show we just kind of like quietly worked in a room on it for two years and then mm-hmm. put it out into the world so there isn't that kind of like the the electricity of the room we miss i yeah. think yeah i miss i miss saturday nights in particular i mean mm. not no i i do i i miss it but it was like a good time to move on it had been six years so yeah that's a good chunk of time but we still yeah. watch the show you know every week we've yeah. actually watched many episodes of the show live because <laughs> we'd be writing this show and we'd be working on a Saturday and we would just realize that the show was about to be on and so we'd get some dinner and watch it together yeah. and it is kind of you know it's part of the culture it's a huge it's a behemoth and um, we both have loved the show since we were young and so to be a part of that for a long, any period of time, we just feel really lucky. And so, of course, we'll this, always yeah, miss that. This is so cheesy, but I think I've actually had a few <laughs> tiny, teeny, like, 
split second moments where I'll be watching SNL and the theme song will start and I will have that like oh if I could work really? there and then I'll be like oh you already did you already <laughs> you worked there for six years but I still because I watched it when I was little so I still hear yeah. the music and get that excitement of like oh my god what's it like and then you're like you did it you, did you it. know what it's like <laughs> you did it. but it still feels like this big entity that is untouchable even though I was in it for a long time yeah totally. <laughs> what don't you miss though because uh, I've talked to SNL alums I've yeah. talked to yeah, yeah. Sashir I've talked to Taryn Killam yeah. and a few others and they always say like yeah a great experience but damn it's a slog mm-hmm. it feels like it is incredibly slog-ish yeah um, I don't miss writing um, reactionary like political humor like I Which really was all of that election re- year but I really really did yeah. love doing it so that's the thing it's like okay. a tricky answer because I for that one year I could not believe I was the, one of the people who got to do it it was so exciting yeah. and cool and you just felt very a part of something it yeah. felt fun yeah um and then you know th- i just doing it year 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 after year i think would would be a little much for me so i think sarah and i were both super excited to write about a family and do a narrative and be able to like sit with characters a little longer and not just write like a six minute sketch that was you oh, know gone as soon as it, yeah exactly because it was so um like it was a lot of work to keep up with everything that was happening in the news and you kind of knew everything that was happening in the news so that's just a specific mindset to be in 24-7 and trying to like distill it into comedy when you're feeling a little bit not like like anything in the world is funny (laughs) yeah it's like just drinking a little bit of poison every day you're like god why do you feel sick you've been drinking poison all year of course you feel sick monitoring politics is poison (laughs) I, I, I say this so my former editors when I was on the campaign trail can hear that they fed me poison for a year and a half. <laughs> it is kind of weird, though, because especially during that, that election year, on the one hand, you have to be comedic writers, which is a very mm-hmm. cerebral thing, I, I estimate. And then on the other hand, you have to be like a news hound. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I'm sure that a lot of those cold opens were just like whatever the hell happened on Friday. Oh, absolutely. Was it hard to kind of merge, I don't know, two different yeah. sides of your brain? I mean, that year in particular was what you're saying. We So Sarah and I really liked writing with Kate McKinnon and A.D. Bryant. They were sort of like our go-to every Tuesday. We also wrote a lot of pop culture sketches and we wrote a lot of music videos. And um, occasionally we wrote political stuff. But then that last year when the <laughs> you know election was in full swing and we were the head writers... I mean, we would try one week to be like, okay, I think this is a slow week. We're just going to write a music video with all the girls and just have fun. Like, you know, back when we were in our third year. Yeah. And then we would be on set on Friday night doing a fun little music video about like high school theater or something. And you'd get an alert on our phone. And one was the Access Hollywood tape that broke on a Friday. It broke on a Friday afternoon while we were on the set of a music video. What music video? Sarah and I, it was called um, Crucible Cast Party. With Lin-Manuel. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just a fun little song. So there was no politics in that one. Just a fun little little romp yeah. that was yeah. uh had to take a quick back seat to the access hollywood tape so i remember sarah and i were like on the floor of this theater that we were shooting this music video in at like two in the morning on friday night just frantically trying to write a cold open which was exciting yeah. in that i mean it, that tape was so awful so i wasn't like it was fun to write about <laughs> but it was we were very aware in the moment that it was cool and exciting that we were the people who got to be there that year writing that stuff that yeah. was cool yeah um but yeah, it just was a huge change. It was not just writing what you thought was funny anymore. It was like reading, responding, distilling, like trying to be smart about, you know, yeah. trying not to repeat something shows have done all week before yeah. you. Well, and also it was a weird time, not weird, maybe good. Like a lot of people were plugged into politics mm-hmm. more acutely than ever before. Yeah. So you had folks coming to SNL 
up on the news of the week. Yeah. Up on totally. what Trump said and did. So you, you have to come correct with those jokes about politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was nice. I mean, that was cool in a way where you knew you could, like, make a Betsy DeVos joke. And you're like, why does everyone know the Secretary <laughs> of Education? Yeah, but you shouldn't do. know who that you is. Know that. But you did, yeah. And that was yeah. cool. Yeah, there was, like, a shared language. Do you think <laughs> that comedy, big C, like uh-huh. the comedic uh-huh. industry, mm-hmm. has done a good job handling a politician like Donald Trump? Oh, God. I try to wrap my head around it, and I honestly think that... One of the things that feeds President Trump mm-hmm. is knowing that he has really made people who don't like him very mad every day. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a lot of comics have leaned into just like Trump hate every set. Mm-hmm. Like I am still waiting to hear deep comedy that makes me think introspectively about mm-hmm. Trump and his presidency that is not just, oh, my God, I hate that guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I've been clamoring for that, and I'm, I know I'm asking you this question that probably maybe has no answer, well, but y'all have tapped well, into I'll, it. In episode eight, I, Chase Dream does talk. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't so. have really like advice for other comedians, but I know when we were at the show, we, Chris and I felt the same way, and so we were kind of like we're you know we're empowering him by talking about him so much, so we would often you know, talk about other people in the administration or try and challenge ourselves to, you know, write something about Kellyanne. We would write a lot of Kellyanne pieces. We wrote Complicit about Ivanka. We would write things that were... About the news itself. About the, the, news, the news Yeah, about the news cycle. Trump. Um, um. And so we would try and, you know, have variety to how we were talking about the administration and politics as a whole. Yeah. It's so tough, too, because when you're in it, so you're, like, trying to process it like a person, like we all are experiencing it in real time and then also having to comment on it in real time. So there's no remove, there's no hindsight, there's no being able to step back and like look back on it from two years ago and being like, oh, mm-hmm. I see the I see the overall narrative yeah. that I can parody or satirize. You are having to well, read about it and be like, oh my yeah. God, I got to write a joke for now. Yeah. About it. So, <laughs> and, and Sarah and I, we, we talked about this. There were definitely weeks in that, in that season we were there where we felt super proud of the way that we handled him and you could kind of feel it in the response to the show and mm-hmm. people would write articles or tweet about like how they really f- were happy with the way SNL was doing it and then mm-hmm. we would be like great we'll do just as much next week and the next week they'd be like why is it Trump 24-7 and then we're <laughs> like okay we're doing <laughs> we too much it. Trump <laughs> the next week we're gonna go back to good old fashioned comedy and then it would be like okay so they're just not gonna talk about this issue this week <laughs> and so and that is sort of the problem with writing reactionarily like r- r- writing what you think people want you to write because you're just mm-hmm. never gonna please everyone Everybody, so, yeah. well, it's, it's tough. You're just constantly you're you're trying to figure it out on the fly. It's there's no you, you're never going to be perfect well, at it. And it's even harder. You know, you mentioned like forests and trees. Like this is a White House, and it was a campaign that literally yeah. just threw trees every day. Like threw <laughs> yeah, trees yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah, look yeah. over here. Look over there. Tree, yeah. tree, tree. And then how do you see a forest out of that? I know. How do you yeah. do it? That, but that's like what you were saying. It's like instead of writing comedy pieces or instead of reacting to every single tree, maybe let a few trees go by so you have time <laughs> to step back and like write about the forest. I don't know. Yes, I yeah. That is what I'm saying. Dodge those trees, y'all. <laughs> uh, Dodge the trees. I will say we don't do any of this on our show. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we, our yeah. show has no president and no government. <laughs> It is anarchy. It is is entertainment anarchy. Okay, time for one more quick break. In just a minute, a little bit more about the other two and how the show handles gay stuff. BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rothy's. Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. 
Stylish, versatile, fully machine washable, and they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. Best of all, there's zero break-in period thanks to their woven design, seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. Find out why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes at rothys.com slash minute. A lot of people are excited that I mentioned on the air yesterday that I'll be on fresh air with Terry Gross on NPR. It happened. I finally got to interview Howard Stern. There was so much to talk about. It's a two-parter. You can listen on the Fresh Air podcast. I want to go back to the show because I could ask you guys questions (laughs) all the time. But we are here to talk about your show. And what I want to ask is how... Carrie's character deals with his sexuality uh-huh. and how it is a portrayal of homosexuality that is a lot more layered than what I'm used to seeing. He is out, but not all the way out. Uh-huh. He loves himself, but is mm-hmm. not quite proud of who he is. Uh-huh. And he is grappling with, I don't know, like being his truest self, but also battling some like internalized homophobia in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a very layered gay portrayal what's feeding that Sarah no. <laughs> um, yeah we talked a lot about in the that in the room and we had like a, a large queer contingent in our writers room and um, another kinda, thing the Gen Zers are doing we didn't say queer I know it's still weird to me it, yeah right it's still cause I'm like when I was a kid on the playground being called queer was that like, was a bad thing yeah also, queer implies... You gotta a, keep up. Right? Right? Well, also, queer queer implies a certain level of interesting that I am not. Oh. I'm, a, I'm a boring gay. You're like, I'm gay, but I'm not queer because I'm not interesting. I'm not interesting. <laughs> That's really funny. I digress. Yeah, I, then I guess I'm gay and not queer, too. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, we had a lot of queer people in our room because they were gay and interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. um, uh but we talked about that a lot. It goes back to what we were saying earlier is what we wanted Brooke and Carrie to both be dealing with that Chase's fame then made them really deal with mm. in a new way or mm. in a bigger way or like under the spotlight. Mm. Um, and one of them was Carrie's sexuality, which I relate to. I, I relate to that idea of being closeted in high school and growing up in a conservative family and feeling like self haty and self-conscious and not comfortable in my own skin Mm -hmm. and then really working hard to get up the courage to come out. And once you've told everybody, you have this feeling of like, oh, I did it. I'm finally fantastic. I have solved all my problems. I am a gay man. And then you're like, oh, I still feel self-conscious and uncomfortable in my own skin. And I'm nervous to date. And then like, okay, there's sex and there's, um, So Carrie is kind of at that point in the show and he is madly in love with a straight roommate who will never give him what he wants. And I think that's probably because he's too nervous to go out and just date a real life gay man. And he is gay and he's out, but he has a lot of hangups. And at one point someone tells him, oh, I I didn't know you were gay. And he says, thank you. And then is like, oh, and catches himself. And and, it was so universal because there are so many gay men that still quietly, secretly wear it as a badge of honor if they can pass. And also, and we wanted to deal with like, not only he's a struggling actor, but not only being an actor, but being a gay actor and how that can be different. So, um, I don't know. All that stuff was interesting to us. And I feel like, uh, um, I don't mean like this is the first time it's ever been done on TV, (laughs) but like, I feel like I've seen a lot of shows that deal with the idea of coming out. Yes. Or I feel like I see a lot of shows where there's gay characters that, um, 
Uh, I don't know. They just like don't don't dig deep at the like at the spe- well, specifics of what it's like they're to magical. be a gay person. They are like perfect and yes. done yes. because we we want representation of people who aren't just struggling and young, which exactly. I which I understand. Yes, I, it's so tricky to talk about. Like um, I don't know. We just wanted him to be uh, flawed in ways that we related to, and that we maybe hadn't seen on his TV as much. Oh yeah, um, I totally get yeah, it. I mean, yeah. like, when I think about portrayals of black characters on TV, there's this like. There's this, like, mental calculus. Because, like, mm-hmm. on the one hand, these are people from a marginalized group. Uh-huh. You want to portray them in a way that's, like, good for the community. But also, you don't want to have, like, a minstrel on the screen or someone yeah. who is mm-hmm. just one note on yeah. the screen. But you don't want them to just be, like, the drug dealer either. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get at something that speaks to the nuance <laughs> that, like, even people who aren't, like, white, straight, and male yeah. also have? I know we talked about that a lot where I, I remember growing up watching characters that were gay on TV and I had to wait to season five to get them. <laughs> the first four seasons of my shows there were no gay characters. And oh, yeah? you'd be like, oh my God, season five there's a gay one. And so then that gay character to me as a little boy needed to be everything, everything. I wanted him yeah. to be. Yeah. He needed to be perfect but also exactly like me. Uh-huh. He needed to have all my interests um, but he needed to be, uh, you know, so this character Carrie is not every gay character. He could never be but we liked that he was a specifically one character that dealt with things that yes. I don't know. At least I wish I would have yeah. gotten to see on TV before well, this. <laughs> and this is the reality and portrayal that we only get to when there are enough portrayals. Yeah. Because yeah. as long yeah. as you're in an environment where there still is the only one, the only one has to has be everything. to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Has to be everything or nothing so as not to. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Lord. Sarah, did you continue uh, Sarah, to write this gay character? This has been lovely she, to listen to. Oh, my goodness. Sarah said, make him straight at every step of the way. And I was I like, no. It. I fought it. No, I do she think what Chris is, I mean, this is very similar. Not not quite, but to SNL where you're trying to like, trying to please everyone makes the work not uh, authentic. And so that was specifically what we tried to do here was just go very specific and so it would feel very authentic to that experience. But yeah, it wasn't speaking to every experience. Yeah. Uh, two seasoned comedic writers here who have written <laughs> comedy writing in various formats. What is your theory of joke density? Oh. I was enamored by the density of the jokes and the specificity of the jokes throughout this uh, episode arc of the first season that I've oh. seen so far. I mean, y'all are squeezing them in. You got some That's Deborah Messing nice. jokes. You got some Justin Thoreau <laughs> oh. jokes. It's like deep cuts and they come fast and <laughs> That's heavy. Nice. Yeah. How many jokes is just the right amount of jokes? How many jokes is too, mu- too many? Well, there's jokes? a specific number. Yeah, there's a number. Okay, okay. Tell, tell us you. the numbers. It's a secret. Spill, spill that tea. <laughs> <laughs> I think well I think when coming from SNL you kind of feel you're you're writing to a live audience so you're kind of yeah. if you don't have a joke every other couple lines you kind of feel start feeling stressed <laughs> so we have that training in our back pocket and then we just knew we wanted our show to be a comedy first we we like the drama we like the heart but we mm-hmm. think ooh, the way we like to write is we like that to feel we want, we want to make sure that feels earned um, mm. And so we think the rapid pace of the comedy and the jokes help us have those moments and help those moments hit a little harder. But we respect and are f- so impressed by the density of jokes in like Tina Fey's writing in like yeah. 30 Rock and what and those type shows where you're just kind of like every line is a joke. Literally. Mm-hmm. And, that's and always... like these jokes you have to Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. Yes. But we also like the the combinations in you know shows like You're the Worst and we like we love Fleabag. So yeah. I think there's not a correct answer, but for us, it's making sure it's a comedy and making sure the jokes come 
Fast and Furious, so you're laughing, but then leaving room for for yeah. breath. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. It's also like... 17. Well, there it is. That's 17. the number. Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's the number. Sorry, the short answer is 17. Yes. Yeah, 17. Yes. But like you were saying about like Justin <laughs> Thoreau or Deborah Messing, like yeah. we make a lot of jokes that are a little niche or not everyone might hear them or get them or like you said, might have to Google them. Yeah. But I guess our thought is if they're coming so fast and furious, if you don't get that one, that's okay because then the next one might be for you. We yes. prefer that. We prefer like small, See. specific jokes that make us laugh but not... Might, yeah. Everyone might not get. I'm the dude that pauses to look up every joke. <laughs> Seriously. God, you didn't get any of the jokes? I, I mean, I got most of them. But the ones that I didn't get, I was like, all right, let me Google this. I, I do it. I do it. That's so funny. I mean, the first like comedy I remember truly, truly loving and re-watching was Arrested Development. And that's a show that yeah. you can watch like... 10 times and still be like, oh, I just now saw this specific joke. callback joke. And so I love that kind of stuff. Um, to merge both of your worlds. Okay. Describe for me Chase Dream's monologue when he hosts SNL for the first time. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That's so funny. I'm quite no, proud of that question. <laughs> that's so funny. It would be a song, probably. It would be a song. And then, like, in between the song, the cast members would come out yes. one by one and, like, talk about how they've been chasing their dreams. And then it would be, like, a sad specific of something that was lame that they did that weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Which cast member good. would, like, be fake in love with him? Oh, be fake in love with him? A- 80. I was thinking the same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or it would be, be the joke would be him. like, also, I, well, you know what the promos would be? It would be all the cast pretending to be young or like trying, trying uh-huh, to prove dress how young like they him are or something. Him, like, yeah. Dress like him and yeah, talk oh, about that's what it would be. Know. Sorry. Now we're <laughs> pitching on this in real time. So <laughs> this is how this goes. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah's idea is better. That's what it would be. It would be everybody would come out dressed like Chase Dreams to yeah. trying to be young and cool. <laughs> and like pitching songs maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like kind of moving like him. <laughs> yeah, moving like him. But then at the end of his monologue, he brings out a single red rose to present to his mother who's in the audience. <laughs> oh my oh, God. Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Totally. That'd be the Mother's Day episode. <laughs> yes. That would be so funny because the mother is played by Molly Shannon who's been on SNL so that would be truly wow. full circle Lauren are you Lauren listening? make it happen <laughs> we, we, we just wrote the open and that's the hardest part <laughs> exactly <laughs> what a lovely conversation this was this was so thanks nice. for having us thank you for having us I was worried about making it work with Sarah all the way out in New York City feels like she's here you can even tell yeah. <laughs> um, I am so eager to keep watching uh, Brent in his infinite wisdom our producer is pumping up some uh, Chase Dreams verse right now to take us out. Can y'all sing along to every word? Oh, God. I oh, know we know them, all so But we much. won't sing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thanks, Your show you. is on Comedy Central. The yeah. other two, check it out. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Because when we are together I could play forever I like your blue eyes and green dress My friends think I'm crazy But I was thinking maybe I want to marry you with recess. Thanks again to Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. The other two's first season is available to stream right now. And the show was recently renewed for a second season. Congrats. Also, special thanks to NPR's Glenn Weldon for his help on this episode. Listeners, as always, our Friday wrap is on the way. Make sure for that episode that you take some time to tell me about the best thing that happened to you all week. Record yourself on your phone thing and send the file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You might hear yourself in this Friday show or some other Friday show or somewhere down the road. Either way, I'll hear it and it'll make me happy. So send it, okay? All right, till then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Cause when we are together, I could play forever. 
I like your blue eyes and green dress My friends think I'm crazy But I was thinking maybe I wanna marry you with recess Uh-huh I mean, I don't not get it. 